On Sky Sports Radio, time to review the weekend's racing with our stable of experts. He's pretty exciting, this guy. Streeting his rivals. Who impressed? Who didn't? Horses to follow. And have a look at the time. And your calls. Welcome to Punter's Postmortem. Rally starting to go through his gears. Just continues to raise the bar. Yeah, good morning and welcome to a... Big punters post-mortem on this Monday. What a week we've got ahead of us and looking forward to dissecting the weekend that was. Big thanks to the Big Sports Breakfast team down there in Melbourne, of course. Luke Marlowe, Michael Clark and Laurie Day. They'll be back from 5.30 tomorrow morning as we get ready for that big Tuesday where we've got... They'll be live from Flemington, of course, giving us everything in relation to the Cup. And I'll be live at Royal Ramwick where we've got the big dance and we've got a big day of racing in Sydney town. So looking forward to one of the great days of the year. Obviously, for all of us hard-rusted-on punters, it's a time when we can do the form. We know how difficult these races are and it's when the old text messages firing from people that you haven't heard from for 12 months. And I love it when they start with the, hey, how are you, mate? Well, why didn't you ask me that months and months ago? But anyway, that'll be all tomorrow. And I'm sure they'll be the first people to text you back too when you give them a tip and it doesn't win. We unfortunately have lost Ballina today, as we heard then from Tanya. Lots of rain in the northern part of New South Wales. So unfortunately, no Ballina today. We do still have the Corowa meeting. So we're north and south. Well, we were going to be north and south, but we've got seven races from Corowa. And we'll be down there a little bit later on after Punners Postmortem. I'll say hello to Duff on this Monday morning. Good morning, Ronnie. Yeah, good morning, Dave. Uh, great day with the Golden Eagle Day on Saturday. What a race that is. And it's going to continue to grow and probably more grow more internationally after the result we got with that uh, little pocket rocket, Oban Buramo, with the sectionals that he can show there. He's got a great turn of speed and, and got the, uh, the great ride from Josh Parr um, along the inside to victory. Um, so a great day's racing all in all. Duff, you would have caught that plenty of times in your career, mate, uh, especially once you jumped in the media, the old uh, tip... Well, not so much, uh, or maybe you might have got the old landline call, but now with when's the invention of text messages, people just come out of the woodwork tomorrow morning. It'll start pretty early, won't it? Uh, it's started now. It's started now. I'm just <laughs> replying to a couple as we speak. What do you like in the oh. cup? Who are you, mate? Um, you know, it's, uh... <laughs> Whose number is this? And I, I always love how they start with a, how you been? You know, they try yeah, and butter yeah, up the start. How love... you been going? <clears throat> what have you been up to? You love your work uh, and all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's gold. It's, it's, a, it's a time of the year when our sport is on the front and back page, and we saw that right leading through the last couple of weeks. I think Chris Roots is there. He's No, he's not there just yet. Chris has got some news for us in relation to Amelia's Jewel, so we'll get to Chris. Uh, I might get to Vince Accardi, who's uh, down there in Melbourne. Vince, hello to you, mate. Good morning, Dave, and good morning to... So, Duff, or Mr. Duff, I don't know exactly how to call you. How do you like to be called? Uh, you, you don't think you like there, Vince? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, we've got Chris Roots and Ron Duffersey. Uh, I, I will say this, Vince, and we'll talk about the Golden Eagle in a moment once Chris Roots does join us, but you were, when we spoke on Friday, and we speak on Friday around 10.30 each week, uh, punters, and I said, uh, look, this is a difficult race. There's lots of form coming from all over the place. You were very keen to single out two horses. Obviously, uh, you were very keen to single out Oben Buramai and Amelia's Jewel. And you did a real deep dive into that Japanese horse, and he obviously delivered what you thought he was going to deliver. Yeah, no, that's that's correct, Dave. I mean, on the podcast I was doing with uh, Ralph Holroyds in the lead-up, we, like, we do a preview on the whole sort of card, and... I'd actually communicated to the people listening on that particular show that my internal market, I felt that the price should have been equal to Amelia's Jewel, around $4, and just couldn't believe how it was such a huge price because maybe they just didn't have total clarity on how to position the horse, but I was fairly confident after looking at all its performances and just benchmarking various races that had performed in that this horse was coming in with a figure that was definitely going to be strong enough to be top three finish. Yeah, I think we've got Chris Roots there. I can hear a lot of activity in the background. Chris, hello to you. Hey, Dave, how are you? And um, uh, hi, Vincent um, Duff. Hi, Chris. You, you've got some news on Amelia's Jewel for us this morning, mate. Yeah, um, Amelia's Jewel went to Ramwick Equine straight after the race on Saturday after being skittled in the in the race with a cut to its, to its lead. Now, the good news is that it's been 
like they thought it might have got into the joint. They flushed at the track. They had a look at it, um, uh, and they said, "Well, we'll, do, we'll go to Randwick Echo One and make sure there's nothing wrong with it." So they flushed it at the races, and then it got to the Randwick Echo One, and it had a, it didn't get into the joint. And the vet told Simon Miller there are two puncture marks on on the leg. I don't know how it hasn't got into the sheath of the tendon, but everything looks fine, and she'll be able to go home in the next. Uh, week or so when there's a plane available, we won't see her again until this to the to the autumn where there is a chance to come for the for the new market and and the TJ before going back for a quokka. So they're just tossing up what races they they want to run in, but she will sprint in the um in the autumn rather than um go long distances and that's with a view to running in an Everest next year. Okay, so there's that's something interesting for a prep. Before we dive in and get to our thoughts from the race, you can give us a call on 1353.53. Let's hear what the beaten jockeys had to say out of the Golden Eagle on Saturday. Ben Mellam Pericles. He ran terrific. Um, had a beaut trip, come off the leaders back after straightening, and I thought he was home. He just got beat by a better one on the day, but really, uh, carry, uh, really courageous run. Zach Lloyd, a golden mile. Yeah, he runs superb. It was um, gave me a great thrill, and yeah, the horse hasn't. That's probably a peak performance by the horse. So great effort. Straight acer, Tyler Schiller. <laughs> Terrific run. Um, really good. I can't can't be more proud of the horse. He's run enormous. Nash, Hawaii five zero. Yeah, look, I'll let him cool down a little bit, obviously, but he. He just didn't seem to adapt to the style of race. You know, the fifteen hundred today. Didn't, well, I don't think we saw the best of him, you know. Karen McAvoy, Vienna Princess. Ran great. We had a trip behind. They just steady a bit down the side and had to then switch out, but she ran a fantastic race, was closest on the line. First team, Sam Clipperton. Thought she acquitted herself really well. Had a nice run from the wide draw. Uh, loomed to win the race and just needed a little bit more given the ground to be ultra competitive. Kobe Jennings, Communist. Yeah, they didn't flow as much as I thought they would in the run, and it just left us exposed throughout. Adam Hieronymus, new endeavour. I thought he ran well. Um, you'll see a, a better horse next preparation. Mink D. Legato. Yeah, unfortunately she was slow away, and uh, I think she's run as well as she could from where we were in the run. Damien Lane, Amelia's Jewel. I'm just glad I come back in the jockey's room alive. Brett Preble, coin toss. Yeah, we had a really lovely run from an awkward gate, but he um, probably just when I asked him for an extra gear, he probably didn't have it, but he tried hard. Jaden Lloyd, Knight's Choice. Yeah, terrific run. He's back to his best today. Um, sort of copped interference early, which fired him up throughout the middle stages, but I thought he was very gallant. Craig Williams, Age of Kings. Yeah, he's probably getting the running line three wide with cover, and then unfortunately just after straightening, um, we, were, we were holding our momentum, but then we had our position completely taken. He was... He had uh, pressure from both sides and got taken out of the race. Dylan Gibbons, Rosita? Yeah, she, she needed a bit, bit, bit more favours than she got, so just wasn't a day today. That was the beaten jocks out of the Golden Eagle. Let's talk about it, Duff, and we'll get a comment from Ron Duffy, Chris Roots, and then Vince Accardi, um with an overview. But uh, obviously the Japanese horse, Oben Buramai, Josh Parr, we heard how... Um, Gracious he was in his post-race comments. Yutaka Take was meant to be here to ride this horse. Unfortunately, on Tenno Show Day, he gets injured. And uh, look, just the closing speed of this uh, runner was sensational. Yeah, I think Vince will probably tell you more about that. But uh, I don't think you need a clock to see what he did uh, when he sprinted between the, well, the 300 and the 100 and and the finishing line. He was just amazing. Um, but that had been a trait of his overseas. Um, to, for a horse like him coming over here, uh, taking on a race like this at only sixth race start, you know, some in Japan may say, "You are oh, no, he's not our best." That, 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 look, he's he's untapped. He, he was he was so good. I thought Gandolfin played this race so so well. You know, obviously they got Dominic doing the figures and all that, but <laughs> tactically. It was just amazing what they did. So they kicked up. They knew the fence was was hot. They kicked up with Pericles to make sure he held that inside, um, held out in Hawaii 5-0. And then the stableway comes across, across, hands up, and they got two horses on the fence, and it nearly paid off. It was. It could have easily been 1-2 there uh, for Godolphin, but just beaten by a um, a pretty exceptional horse, I'd say. This straight aces come from nowhere. But, you know, yeah. he's, he's, he was a midwayer in... in um, uh, August, and he's uh, he's run the race in his life. Y five O, 
I just don't know whether he was balanced in the run. I don't know whether he's really happy inside horses, but he was far from disgraced. Vienna Princess, good. And we all saw what happened to Amelia's jewel. It was one we'll never know. She was travelling. She was in a beautiful spot and just put out of the race before exposed. So Before we... Before, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, sorry. I'll just let you finish there, mate. Yeah, no, you're right. Go on. I was going to say, before we get to Chris, here's those words from Josh after the race. Josh Parr. Congratulations, Joshy. Your biggest moment on the racetrack thus far. How did that feel? Brownie, I, exhilarating. Um, I'm full of emotion right now. You know, the, you know this exact feeling. It, uh, it's bursting out of every part of my body. Um, I'm so grateful to pick up this, this opportunity. The team from Japan have been nothing but friendly. Uh, made me feel so comfortable from, from the moment I picked up the ride. And uh, I'm, I'm super proud uh, and pleased to, to be able to, to pull out a decent ride for them and, and get the job done. Take us through the race. I was, I was adamant to hold the back of Hawaii 5-0, which I, which I thought I'd me, would mean I'd have to be one off. Hawaii 5-0 got pushed to the, to the fence, as did I. So I ended up in the spot that I wanted, albeit a steady gallop. To the horse's credit and, and the team's credit, they've, they've presented a horse that was so adaptable and, and he adapted to that situation. I knew from the 500 all I needed was clear air. And when I got it, even though uh, there was a decent decent gap to the to the lead group, I was I knew I was going to win. So it was a nice 200 metres. What was the thought when you first got up on him? Because there's not a lot of him. No, I, was, I must be honest, I was quite surprised on Wednesday morning when I rode him. I, I expected a, a bigger horse physically, and I did have to remind myself a, a Northern Hemisphere horse that, uh, with the age, the age difference. Um, so he still has a bit of catching up to do. But trust me, Brownie, when that, uh, all that concern or doubt went out of my mind when I, when I galloped him on Wednesday. So, oh, this is brilliant. Well done, brother. I just, I do, sorry to hold you, Brownie, but um, Ty Anglin, Joe Fuji... Uh, they've done so such a great job to get me this ride. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so, so proud to, to get it done. Uh, my family at home, Justin Sheen. I've got to give a shout to, to the Wiz. He, uh, he sent me a message this morning. I won't go into detail with, but it was, uh, it was perfect, and it just got me in the right, right frame of mind. So, so thanks, Wiz, and Mum and Dad. How good. It was great uh, that Josh got that opportunity. Uh, we know he can ride Chris Roots. And, uh, well, I wonder if this will open the door for more of uh, Japan's horses or Japanese horses to come, especially for this spring carnival next season. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting look at looking back at this. It might be where we see not only English and Irish horses coming, but the Japanese now. Um, Josh's ride, now, I don't want to say that an international jockey probably wouldn't have ridden the way he did, but he got this absolutely correct. The fence was... You had to be on the fence to be a hope um, until you got in the straight, and then you had to stay as close to the, the fence as possible. Once you got about five off, I think Vince can talk to this, but they just couldn't make ground. That's that's what caused the interference, because everyone wanted to be in the same spot. But what happened for Josh? It just opened up on the inside, and then Benny Mellon drove Pericles to the front with his whip in his right hand and the horse just drifted out and it left a gaping hole there for Obambiramoy to come through and he just he just exploded. Now, he's come out of an, uh, the equivalent of the Japanese 2,000 guineas. Um, if a horse... Probably, and I think Vince said he probably started at a longer price than he should have. If an English 2,000 guineas place getter had come to this race, we would have all been, oh, how good is this, you know? And... We would think the Japanese are probably better better horses, especially at a mile. So um, we probably missed a trick there, and um, we saw a very smart horse, and uh, hopefully he goes back to Japan and, and wins a few more races to make this race look even better. All right, well, Vince, let's talk about it. Um, let's talk about it because you're very big on the lanes there at Rose Hill. Lanes, I think, what is it, two to eight? Uh, you suggest is the optimal place and then there's that sort of patch that between maybe 8 and 11 or 8 and 12 that you don't want to be in or it's not favourable to be in and then one past lanes 12. What we mean by that pun is obviously, Vince, is uh, if there were lanes in a particular running race uh, going around, they're the positions you want to be in the running at Rose Hill. Sure, yeah, Dave. As we touched on, on the Friday, 
I sort of pointed out, I always like to sort of give a little briefing on the lane pattern, particularly inside the 300-metre mark at Rose Hill. When the rail's in the true position, the lanes really kick into play. Two, three, four, five, out to six is the optimum. And then you have to get out to lanes 12 or wider. And as Chris touched on in, the, in this particular card on the day, the majority of runners did come pretty much from lanes two to five. There were, there was race two, the winner did come hard on the fence, and the same with uh, uh, race number four, they were hard on the fence. The other key aspect is, is how far you are from the leader approaching the 800 metre mark. It's actually a really critical point, and I've, just over the years I've learned that one of the key essence of understanding the handicapping on the day really comes about where your horse is positioned at the 800 metre mark as that's the beginning of the, in my view, about whether you're done or that's the part of the real race because it all comes down to the pace. And if you look at this particular race here, I'd say Ron was 100% like on the money about his communication on what he just said about the strategy that the stable used with um, the lead speed. It was just like I actually felt an all-natural pace for the race. The forecasted internal pace we had was going to be around two lengths faster than standard through that first critical part, which is to the 800 metre mark. And what was actually happening is we had Golden Mile going a half a length below benchmark, which or 0.2 below to be precise, which was really interesting. But the bigger point was, and adding fuel to the stable strategies, there was no shift in speed between the eight and the 400. In fact, that this could have potentially, uh, this is why there was a lot of chaos where all horses were trying to get a run. The golden mile between the eight and the 400 slowed 2.8 lengths. So it went from 0.2 below benchmark to the 800 metre mark, and then from the eight to the four, the horses slowed down by 2.8 lengths, therefore creating that vacuum where everybody gets compressed. And as soon as you get compressed, it becomes very challenging to get that air and space you need. So this is what's taken place. And then it became the big sprint home over the last 400 metres. And the winner, which I call Obama, because you're the best at saying it, Dave, right? 9.3 lengths faster than standard, which was dynamic. The last 200 metres was six lengths faster than standard. Now, I, I did a little bit of work just on the, on the fans for Amelia's Jewel, a couple of aspects. What I could gain was this. It's never clear to understand how much momentum is lost when the horse got poleaxed. So what I did was I did a, a compression look at the first eight or nine horses across the line and what the, the acceleration was at that point between the four and the 200 metres. And that field average speed was just below three lengths faster than standard for that section. And Amelia's Jewel was travelling at benchmark. So it was an impact of around three lengths. The other thing that I wanted to sort of also look at is just, it was more for curiosity than anything else, is I like to time a whole bunch of horses over the last 150, the 100 metre mark and the 50 metre mark, just to see how they ended up in the closing. And here's one of the, the classic points here. The winner from the, the last 100 was 5.66 seconds, and Amelia's Jewel was actually 5.68. And then the last 50 metres, the winner was 2.82 uh, versus 2.88, so the run had come to an end. And then what I do is I look at the margin, the NPS margin, and factor in the three lengths, and that gives me some insight. Would Amelia's Jewel beaten... Obamburamai in the end and the intel saying the Japanese horse most probably still wins but not by much and I guess that's the end result and when I look at the overall performance because of the slow pace of the race and the nature of the even speed particularly slowing between the eight and the four Obamburamai still ended up with a plus three performance which is fantastic a couple of lengths behind what it did in Japan and the reality was, had that pace been a bit quicker, I feel that the performance would have been even more dynamic by the winner. Yeah, okay, very, very interesting. Uh, you went with Ron Doversy, Chris Roots, and also Vince Accardi this morning on Punters Postmortem. If you want to get involved with the show, you can on 13.53.53. Um, I want to talk about the Coolmore now, because uh, we see Osmosis. Got to tip my hat to Henry Field, uh, who jumped on this horse... 
what, pretty much what was after the Heritage he jumped in and obviously was beaten the Roman console, but is now worth a stack of money, this horse, Ron Duffersey. And the jump out was exceptional, as Bjorn Baker alluded to in the post-race interviews, and they get the job done. And uh, now we'll be wait and see. He obviously gets a break now, and Bjorn said that to the Big Sports Breakfast this morning, but very interested to see what this horse targets next year. Yeah, well, it'll be... Um They'll be targeting the big ones, that's for sure, the big sprints, because he was he was, he was was quite dominant there, wasn't he? He got into a rhythm, and um, he was big odds, considering, you know, he jumped out well down the straight. But uh, just maybe just that took a bit of gloss off him, the King's Gambit run last time, when King's Gambit went past him, but he did wander out. It was that lane that we didn't want to be at at Roseville that day. So uh, there's the, the excuse after the race. We could all pull him out now, but... Yeah, he was a very, very good. I'm unstoppable. Maybe should have won the race. He just got behind Cylinder there, and Cylinder was taking him nowhere. He was very heavily backed, and uh, they weren't far off the mark there. Shinzo had to be chased up a long way out, and I think that's mainly because inside draw down the straight. I hate it, especially inexperienced horses that haven't had a lot of you know, action down the straight. So I thought he was good. Uh, from the wrong barrier, but look, what can you say? We, he's, he's a sharp horse, and he's the he's the king of the castle now. He's the job done with him. With um, I'm not going to say a well-bred colt. That race is always a stallion-making race, and and they'd be over the moon with the result. Uh, Chris, what news was there to come out of this race? So obviously, the Coolmore Stud. Well, obviously, Bjorn Baker's over the moon. He's he. It sort of takes him to another level as a trainer. He made that point that you know. You can win Group One races, but when you win one of these races that that makes a stallion like like he's he's trained a stallion before in in Reading Rupert that's been very successful, but was bought off rating rather than off wins. And this horse is now done the job, won the biggest race race of the spring for for sprinting three year olds, and his future secure. And Henry Field bought this horse after its second run off off a rating off a rating number and once again they've got it right and you look at you look at everything you go back through it he, he he's um trial down the straight just said he's just going to go like a bomb down the straight he controlled the race and nothing could get near him like i i except i, I am unstoppable really did find the wrong back and and that can happen in a race but if you're out in front you Nine times out of ten, you don't you don't find much trouble. And Rachel King got it exactly right, and um, punched him out to win win this race really well. And um, be interesting to see. Uh, just trying to line up the three rods. There, there's there hasn't been a dominant one this year. Yeah, and we thought they were a good crop, but they might just be a little bit under what we thought. But the, the horses from the slipper really haven't come through. And now we've got the new kid on the block winning the Cornwall. So um, be very interested to see what happens later on as they develop further. What about some of the uh, data to come out of this race, Vince? It's really interesting, again, this race here, and a couple of key aspects that need to be noted. One of them is the horse's performances in general, and it also took place in Sydney, about what the drop-off is when they've had an Everest run, which is a you know, high-pressure, high-impact, and the backing up, what does that do? And the reality is it was definitely on display here in Melbourne. It was also on display in Sydney as well, to a certain extent. Firstly, when we look at the performance of the winner, one of the key things up the straight, and we touched on this as well on Friday, is where are they going to be running in transit up that straight? And when you look at, if they're going to the inside or to the extreme outside, the predictability of the speed could change dramatically. And here we are, Osmosis is travelling 2.4 lengths below benchmark for the first 400 metres. The decisive move and the winning move, when you then have a high impact between the 8 and the 400, and that's the mid-race squeeze is what I call it, what it does then, it takes a lot of the energy out of all the other horses when you get to the last 400 metres. And it makes it extremely difficult to make up ground when you can control the pace and then put that pressure on. And that's exactly what Osmosis did. Now, overall performance, interesting, it was the third best performance of the day, but the score was a plus 2.3. Now, to give you an example, with Flemington, we've got 40 years of history. The 
and we, we put it in the naked scale, so it doesn't matter what age you are, you pit it against all of them. So 2.3, from my perspective, is very solid, but it's only marginally up on its previous best. Shinzo, who had a 2.6 lengths better than standard or an IBR class figure coming from the, Guinea, uh, from the uh, slipper last season, could only manage 0.9 above and didn't even reproduce what it did in the Everest. And Cylinder ran miles below its profile. Like, it was completely different horse. And yes, it was supported, but it didn't deliver. It had an easy race shape through the first section, going 3.3 lengths below benchmark in the strike zone, where you should be tagging the leader around the length. In the mid-race, it couldn't match osmosis, and that's the first sign that you're done. And there's no way, when you look at the last 400 metres, 7.3 lengths below standard, that's the norm, not the normal characteristic. So the horse was done. So probably unfair for that runner. And Shinzo may only be chasing its slipper profile and may not go beyond that. Or was it the interruption at the beginning of the campaign that hasn't allowed this horse to flourish to its full capacity yet? I've got to ask a question, and, and you boys will know this. So obviously we hear about, obviously, um, you know, straight racing and inside outside, and it, this race can throw up some, you know, um, tricky analysis. Why is this the uh, the stud making race, um, and and why has it been? Is it just purely because of those winners, and then in history tells us that those winners then go on to stud and and become uh, very good horses? But why is this particular race, considering it's a straight race, and we don't race down the straight a lot? Uh, why isn't other races, um, stud-making races, to a degree, duff? I don't Is know. It the time um, of the year or the calendar? I just, I'm curious because Vince obviously on Friday said, hey, this race can sometimes, this straight racing, can be really difficult to punt on because as he explained then, inside, outside, they crawl, you know, there's all these different factors, yet obviously it takes a good horse to win the race. But why is it? Why has this race become the, the stallion-making race? Well, I suppose the, that's um, the history of the race, really. You know, you go back to, I think, Northern Meteor, Stallion, Star Witness, Stallion, um, Sepoy, Stallion, uh, Zoo Star, very successful Stallion, Brazen Bow, Flying Arty, Merchant Navy. They all, they, 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 that's, their, that's their way in life after they win this mm. race, and that's the way we've, we've, we've sold it. We sell our sprinters to start, and, and this is, a, you know, a three-year-old, 1,200 in the spring where they all meet up and and make a name for themselves. And a few of them have made their, a lot more than a few of them have made their, a name for themselves at studs since this race. I don't know the real answer to it, but uh, that's the mentality we've got. Chris, any comment there before I move on? The thing was with this race, when it was moved from, uh, I think it was in September, the uh, Ascot Vale, they, they moved it to have a group one race in, in, the, um, in the spring. So it was just um, it was just the perfect race to um, to have for everyone to say right that's where we're all going to meet. This is sort of almost become a gentleman's agreement. This is where the best horses 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 meet in the sprint. So, but now we've got a Sydney spring which adjusts it a little bit. And Henry Field come up with an interesting stat that a Roman Consul actually produces has produced um, more stakes winners from stallions than the Cornwall. And it's probably an unfair comparison because at that point, um, horses were coming. It goes back to exceeding sell on horses like that. But that's if you get grand finals and you know that everyone's going to be there, they become the most important races on the calendar. Like a Cox Plate, like a like a um, Cornwall, the um, Guineas, Caulfield Guineas has lost its luster a little bit because you don't get everyone there. The, the Australian Guineas and Randwick Guineas, they don't really, because you get you split, you, know, you get the split in the three-year-old. So it's where the best horses all meet and, you know, you get to prove you're the best of your generation and that's what you do in a Golden Slipper and in a Coolmore. It's not a race rich in history because I think it was only a Coolmore since about 2006. It was obviously the Ascot Vale before yeah, they that. Mo- so, they moved it up to 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 have a sprint race on the day, and I can I spoke to the VRC see when I went to Melbourne a few years ago, and they, it was a five hundred thousand dollar race, and their mentality about this race, well, they all come anyway, so we don't have to put any prize money on it because 
their biggest prize is being a stallion because they all want to prove themselves to be the best horse in the in the country. And if you go back to the field, it's always got the best three rod sprinters in it, and it's just it's just been the way it's been placed. But I can see that changing over time if if you if you start getting a Roman Consul um, becoming uh, a Group One race. But that's another argument. But it's the Group One that everyone everyone wants to win, and everyone you know Chris Wallace says in said about Shinzo, he's a Kumbo horse after his first run, you know. That's that's the mentality about this race. They're thinking about it mm. six to 12 months out, even before they've raced. We'll take a quick break. When we return, we've got the Giga Kick Stakes we're going to look at. You're on Punters Postmortem. You're with Ron Dovesey, Chris Roots and Vince Accardi. And you can give us a call on 13 53 53 if you want to get involved with the show. On Sky Sports Radio, the traffic report. Red Sail has landed. Limited time offers on flights, cruises, tours and holiday packages. Head online or in-store now and save. Sydney South Hurstville, truck broken down King George's Road at O'Connell's Point Road. Queen's Park, gas repairs on York Road at Darley Road. From the Domain, heavy traffic, Eastern Strip of the Main Tunnel going southbound to Moore Park. And Brisbane, Everton Park, South Pine Road still busy going inbound. More grime gone for less at Big W. Clean up all kinds of mess with Ajax Spray and White multi-purpose cleaner 500 mil three pack only ten dollars while stocks last at big w i'm ian wallace that's traffic on sky sports radio you're listening to sky sports radio and punters post-mortem you certainly are ron doversy chris roots and vince Accardi, your panel today we've already touched on uh, a couple of the big races let's go to the giga kick stakes now because we saw uh, the two Joe Pride horses, Private Eye and Think About It, in battle here. They were dominating the market. And Bella Nipatina, who has been very good all preparation, gets the job done with Craig Williams on board, Ron. Yeah, what a magnificent uh, win. And, you know, no one saw it coming as far as the last 100 metres when uh, Private uh, Eye peeled out and come with momentum and put a, you know three-quarters of a length on them. But and the, and the mare got held up on the inside. But, boy... Uh, she really rallied there. A great tactical ride. Um, no one had her in the map, clearing, you know, clearing the, most of those horses there, or clearing all of them, and then it just handing up obviously to Cold Crusher who drew outside her. So a winning move. Um, the favourites beaten, but not disgraced, I'd say. Um, it, I think there was a little whisper around amongst a few form. The judges prior to the race that look, these favourites aren't as good of things as you think because none of they're not going to find the fence. Uh, they're not going to not not they both won't find the fence. So they they could be vulnerable with pattern problems, and I could put it down to that uh, to a certain extent. But how can you take away from the performance of the winner? She worked early, cleared them, rested, and. Uh, drove through a gap that she shouldn't have been able to drive through with, um, you know, little hiccups along the way. It was a good win. And, look, they'll both go to the paddock now, private eye, think about it, and they'll um, yeah, they'll come back with their heads held high. Cold Crusher setting up well for a race like the Hunter, I would have thought. Exactly right. Yeah, uh, what news to come out of this, Chris? Well, the interesting thing was there was Michael Christian there, a proud Victorian, the owner and breeder of of Bella Nipotino, and he he missed his first Derby day because he, he to use his words, when you got three million on the line, you want to be there. So um, he's been he's been um, he's he come up there. They got the job done. The first time the horse has been past thirty twelve hundred metres in in its career. It's of more than forty starts. Craig Williams, great ride took advantage of the fence and was in the right spot and the horse just showed so much determination to win the um to win the to win the race. So um I thought Private Eye was very good again. Just peaked on his run, but how about Nash? On the line when I, I, I haven't spoken about James McDonald throwing Riff Rocket over the line to win the Derby, but Nash's throw in the um in the Giga Kick was as good as you'll ever see. And geez you thought it had won. I was standing behind Joe and when he was waiting for the photo, it was very tense, and he just sort of, he sort of just uh, went to his almost to his knees after when the photo comes through because it really did look like Nash had got the the throw right. I think they're three very good horses, and going forward, we'll we'll be seeing them against each other a lot more, and we might be seeing Bella Nicotana out and trip again. 
Okay. Before we get to Vince and his analysis here with the information on the Giga Kick, let's just hear what the beaten jockeys had to say in uh, this race. Nashville, private eye. Yeah, well, this was brilliant. Um, uh, it's hard not to be disappointed. As a matter of fact, I feel like crying. But uh, look, he, he ran his heart out. He had, had the had the perfect run today, and um, full credit to the winner. Whether he just got a little bit strung up there, he's just getting through, Craig. But Jesus, to take the line, and we'll just left a bit of a sitting shot. Sam Clipper didn't think about it. Um, nothing obvious I can offer, other than the fact that he was beaten by two better horses on the day. Seems strange to say, but uh, I thought the horse ran terrific. Um, can't offer anything at this stage. Uh, he's earned a well-earned break, and he'll come back for the autumn. Tyler Schiller, Cole Crusher. Terrific run. Um, I think he's going to be well suited in the hunter that he's aiming at. Tommy Berry, Mazu. Strange run. He just never travelled today. I was almost had Nash in there, but he wasn't going well enough. Damien Lane, Zapateo. Didn't have a perfect run, but uh, ultimately she just couldn't quite sprint as sharp as uh, first few across the line. Ben Mellum, Cascadian. He ran terrific. It was a great first up run. He's in for a good campaign. Regan Bayless, surf dancer. Yeah, he's ran, ran tremendous. Obviously, first up. Um, he's got um, other plans sort of further down the track, but he's really happy with his first up effort. Now, Vince Cardi, I'll go to you here now. The closing speed, visually, watching on the television of Bill and Nipatina was unbelievable. What did your data and what did the clock say? Yeah, again, this is really interesting, and we just sort of touched on it before about the impact of the Everest profiling into a race like this and it's just really from a form student point of view some of the things that you've got to take into consideration before you just look at the numbers that's come out on the day firstly Bella Nipotina has produced a 3.6 length faster than the standard so it's ran right up to its peak now why was this horse able to come out from the Everest and deliver. One of the first signs that you look at is you look at that run in the Everest, that horse was travelling through the first section that day, seven and a half lengths below benchmark. And then if you compare it to a horse like Private Eye on, in the same race that day, which was travelling 2.2 lengths below benchmark, and think about it, was 1.3 lengths below benchmark, and then you look for the power and the massive exertion over the last 800 metres. Now that day in the Everest, think about his extension over the last 800 metres was in excess of 12 lengths above the standard for the last 800. And Private Eye was virtually the same as well, like massive. And then you look at Bella Nipotina, it was about a length less than those two horses and had a six-length easier run in transit through the first half of the race. So that, what that does is that brings residual energy into a race like this, and hence the reason why not only the stable was obviously very confident because there was solid money for it, and it was a runner that was always going to be in the top three or four, but the reality was Private Eyes ended up with a 3.5 length better than standard performance, about two lengths down on the Everest, and think about it, was even further down. It was about three and a half lengths behind its performance. Now, Bellini Patina, if it didn't win, was pro- would have been extremely unfortunate because it was always travelling like the winner but wasn't getting the clear run at the right time. And you can actually see between the four and the 200, again, I just run a, a general print to see what was the impact when the horse was trying to get out and get that clear momentum. The impact was about a length and a half. And then the acceleration over the last 200 metres was 4.2 lengths faster than standard. And this is the coiled-up energy coming from the previous start and why the horse was able to deliver. So... I know for all the fans of Private Eye and Think About It that may not have gotten the result today, make no mistake, they are not inferior horses and they, on most occasions, will be a far superior horse to Bella Nipotina. But on this occasion, the big race took its toll and they had to sort of perform at a level that they couldn't back up on. Let's talk about the Derby uh, and obviously Riff Rocket, James McDonald and Chris Waller here. Darf, I know if you've been watching uh, on the screens in Sydney, lovely ride by James. The other horse is fighting back and that's now what, a couple of weeks in a row where we see uh, McDonald with this, not new style, but you can see he's really getting up right behind the ears of the horse. 
Yeah, he's thrown those two big winners over the line. There's no doubt about it, and both with great rides. He just relaxed in midfield, took his time, um, and just you know, just run the 2500. Just oh, look, I don't know. It was a derby. I think had a long tail to it, and Apulia was going to beat him in one more stride. But uh, yeah, look, I starting to think I'm. I used to. Be, Bark when everyone used to tell me, bring this derby back to 2,000 metres. Said, no, it's, it's the Victoria derby. It's a, a great race. I'm, I'm starting to have second thoughts with the programming around town now that uh, these horses, after getting to 2,000 metres, are happy enough if they're nice horses, go, go to the paddock and look for you know more, so many more options in the autumn. So there's a, there's a good case to say that this race is, um, yeah, it's just there for the, the, the plugging types. But he's not a plugging type. He's, he's probably going to be better at 2,000 metres, Riff Rocket. But um, a great ride got him home, I would have thought. Chris? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it was a great ride by James, a great throw at the line. Thank God he did. Um, he, 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 he got it right because he, at the top of the straight, he just exposed the horse because... Um, and as Duff said, there was a long tail in the race. He just didn't want to be behind anything. And he, he just tried to cuddle it, cuddle it, cuddle it. And probably not a stayer. I'd say it's a mile to 2,000 metre horse. But, um, and you can win the Victoria Derby if you've just got a bit more class than the others. I think Apelli is a really nice horse. And going forward, it's probably the star out of the lot. It found the line really really well. And I think we'll see, see it in a derby again in the autumn. And... Uh, Behind those, well, I think they were, as Duff said, there was a long tail. What about uh, Vince um, Riff Rocket? Uh, what, what did you make of the Derby this year? Uh, surprisingly enough, generally speaking, the Derby, the winners usually perform, and it's a bit like what Ron was saying. These horses that run at this distance, whilst race. it's such an important race and you know career making. Generally, it is all really about the class, not so much about the distance. But what I've noticed here this year is in the last five, six years, the derbies, typically the winners produce performances somewhere around two to five lengths below the standard, and that just reconfirms some of the things that Ron was saying and Chris. But this year, Riff Rocket, 0.7 above, Apulia, 0.6 above, and then Sunsets was 0.1 below, and forget the rest, right? They were a long way behind, and they were, they, the rest of the runners were very typical of what would happen in a derby. But when I actually break this race down, I'm actually surprised at how well these two young horses went for 2,500 metres. Example, Riff Rocket was travelling 5.7 lengths below benchmark for the first two-thirds of the race, which is really good speed for horses at 2,500 metres that are so young and don't have that you know, residual strength and experience yet, right? And then between the 8 and the 400... Both Apulia and Riff Rocket had the ability to accelerate. Riff Rocket was going above benchmark between the 8 and the 400 and actually finished off the last 400 metres 2.3 lengths faster than standard and Apulia was three lengths faster than standard. And what I can tell, the difference between the two horses was just the ride. There's nothing between these two horses. I just felt that... Uh, James McDonald just pulled up that slightly better ride. That's all. What about, uh, I'll stay in Melbourne for the other group one, Vince, uh, Pride of Jenny. And, and you mentioned Pride of Jenny, not so much as a, as a tip in the race, but you, you referenced her when we spoke about Amelia's Jewel, three runs back in the stock stakes. Uh, you know, that was such a, such a big performance from her. And Amelia's Jewel obviously had to use a, a lot of petrol that day to be up on speed and get past her. And, well, she just got out in front there at Flemington and got rolling. In your opinion, just from, uh, do you believe that it was difficult to make ground there or it was advantageous to be up on speed there on Saturday? Well, the key thing is when the rail's in the true position, typically speaking, to get out in the lanes, the faster lanes, let's say the equivalent to what a Roseville or a Ram would be, you have to sort of get 10 off the fence or further. So this usually only happens in the straight races and can happen sometimes in the turning circle races, but it's big fields and it's, and it's extremely governed by the race shape. So most horses didn't get anywhere near it other than Riff Rocket was the only runner from the turning races that got into lane 11. And this is why, again, saying you know, it was the ride. You know, it was a sensation to be able to get in that position and optimise your advantage. 
So when that happens, most of the horses are going to be closer to the fence and therefore there's no advantage getting out wider. And if you get the right favourable race shape, either going very fast or slow, right, that you can get big edges and this can help deliver victory. Now, with Pride of Jenny, as I've said in that, you know, the preview podcast I did with the, with the crew on the Friday, I was just blown away again how this horse could be such a ridiculous price when I actually said it should be favourite, not, you know, 20 dollars It just shouldn't be. And the, the ride, though, was sensational. 15.6 lengths faster than standard. What was really interesting is that obviously some of the Mar horses are going extra good, and this is one of them, a couple of lengths better than last campaign. You can turn the clock back and have a look at the Rose Hill run of Pride of Jenny. That day was travelling 13.7 lengths faster than standard, just got beaten. This year, it's at Flemington, it's over a mile, and it's going 15.6 lengths faster than standard. And then I looked at how much the horse de-accelerated, and this was an unbelievable ride, just if I could. The micro-splits between the 8 and the 6, the horse starts to de-accelerate. It's going 2.9 lengths faster than standard. Between the 600 and the 400 metre mark, it's now 2.9 lengths below the standard. In other words, it's lost 5.8 lengths of energy. Between the four and the two, the horse is now travelling 5.2 lengths below standard, and the last 200 metres, 5.7. So the drop-off between the four and the finish line was only 0.3, and that reconfirms how phenomenal the ride was. And probably for the second horse, a tissue, crazy as it sounds, that horse probably had the ability to travel a little bit faster than what it did, but it was actually being rated off. When you've got a lone leader, horses and riders aren't judging off that lead speed. They're generally judging off the second horse or the third horse. And even the second horse, the Nine Knowledge, who was travelling 10.7 lengths faster, probably wasn't the right horse to be judging your pace off. So they were probably judging the majority of the, the, the riders off the third horse, which was travelling 7.4 lengths above benchmark. And I looked at a tissue from that perspective, being nine lengths behind that horse, was probably a length and a half too far behind. Now, I'm clutching at straws. I'm not a rider. That would be such a hard thing to understand, and I definitely don't understand. So I'm only looking at numbers. Had that horse been a little bit closer, like a length and a half closer, travelling at benchmark speed, maybe the result would have been the other way. But those two were clearly the two best performances. All right. Um, what we'll do is we'll take a quick break. When we return, we're going to get some horses to follow from Ron Duffercy and Chris Roots. And Look, we might just have a quick look ahead to tomorrow uh, just to see, hear some early thoughts. I know a lot of punters will be looking at uh, tomorrow, not only here in Sydney but in Melbourne. It'll be just great to get a little gem uh, because we're all going to have a tip and uh, it is one of those days where the texts will come flying through, as we said to start the program. Hi, I haven't spoken to you for a while, but what do you like? We'll find out next from the boys. How good is the bull? You've heard about it. Now it's time to find out for yourself with Ambassador Travel. All roads lead to Warnable in May for three action-packed days of racing action with some of Australia's premier jumps events like the Grand Annual Steeplechase and the Gallywood Hurdle as well as the Wongoom and the Warnable Cup. Plus you'll take in the Great Ocean Road, Port Campbell National Park and the unmissable 12 Apostles. Book now to avoid disappointment and create a lifetime of memories. Call Ambassador Travel today on 07 or visit ambassadortravel.com.au Racing Under Lights is back at Canterbury Park. The weekend starts here with food markets and free kids entertainment. Kia Friday Night Racing, opening night on November 17. Entry is free. Find out more at theracers.com.au. Don't just get a Right now, Toyota Material Handling is having a massive clear-out of 2022 and 23 plated forklifts. Score great deals across a selected range of new Toyota forklifts currently in stock. Counterbalance and reach forklifts, walkie stackers and more. So if it's 22 or 23 plated, get a great Toyota forklift deal. Visit toyotamaterialhandling.com.au Get a Toyota forklift. Season C's apply. Offer ends December 31. 
Get ready for a dazzling experience that launches the beginning of summer racing. Tab Mooloola Bar Cup Day at the Sunshine Coast Turf Club is where the colours of summer are unleashed. Experience the thrill, the spectacle and the spirit that defines Tab Mooloola Bar Cup Day. Mark your calendar for Saturday 18 November and join us at the Sunshine Coast Turf Club for the most colourful time of the year. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. This is Punter's Postmortem on Sky Sports Radio. It's been a great morning thus far. Ron Doversy, Chris Roots and Vince Accardi looking at the weekend's racing. What about some horses to follow, uh, gents, from the weekend? I'll start with you, Duff. What, uh, what are we putting in the black book to follow? Um, I think the first two winners have got plenty of room to move in the ratings. So Tribeca Star and I'm in to win, who was very good leading all the way at 1,500 first up in Australia. Kaboch out of race three, uh, had every possible, but was just one run short, I reckon. And Jun Quira was very good against the pattern coming down the outside out of race four. So Tribeca Star, I'm in to win, Kaboch and Jun Quira for me. All right. Uh, what about yourself, Chris Roots? Look, Leandro is very good first up. It's in for a good preparation. I think it'll win either a mid-west, but I think it'll end up winning down on Saturday. She's a, she's a really nice mare. Um, I'm in to win. Now, these little horses that go to Waterhouse and they might try and get now. They've got a little break on Chris Waller, and if they can find horses like this from New Zealand, they can go through their grades. It looks like you could win two or three. That will help, help them just in the hunt for that premiership. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you see more and more of these types come across for them. And how can them, how can this sweet Mercy, she's always promised to do that, but the ride by Dylan Gibbons, where he just turned out the horse on his outside, make the, make the run big enough for her to fly through, and her closing speed at the end, she just he didn't even turn the stick around, and she won by a length and a half, and she only got out at about the 75. So, um, I'll put her in. I think she she might win a nice race during the next couple of weeks. That was in the four pillars. Now, Vince, usually we have David Gately with some horses to follow. Mate, would you like to, to give us something uh, that Absolutely. we can follow? Absolutely. I'll give you a couple of runners. That, uh, I'd say I'm going to go very close to winning next start, if not winning. Of course, assuming all the normal reasons, you know, like the, you don't have the bad luck. A tissue's absolutely ready to win next up, particularly if they get up to 2,000 metres. I can't wait for that. And the other run was from race five. That's Zardosi. I believe that'll be in the Oaks. That's the horse that I absolutely want to be all over come Thursday. OK, Zardosi. Price in the Oaks. I'm just pulling up the futures market here for... Thursday, or actually, no, the... How come this, it's just disappeared? Do we not have it up there? Um, I thought that still would have been open. But, no, but they got final field. So they would have been taken this morning, so it'll be out final field very late. Initially, I didn't I didn't see what her price was. Did any of you boys see what her she, price was after was, Saturday? Was, after uh, Day, and I think uh, James probably missed the boat on her end. And a tissue, like like being said, a tissue just needs to be that little bit closer. I don't think you realise how far Pride of Jenny got in front of, away from the, the the second horse. And I think he won uh, Declan Bucks won the race from about the 600 to the 400, just slipping away and putting that big a gap. And yeah. that was the that was the winning of the race rather than I, mean, I think Jones is something like 19 lengths off at the 600. You know, that's, that's a lot of ground. Exactly. Ground yeah, that's what Vince was. Vince was alluding to before. Uh, now, obviously, tomorrow, guys, we've got a big day at Randwick. We've got Brett Devine joining us very, very soon. Punners, if you'd like to go to Randwick tomorrow, I think Brett's got some goodies for us. He's been so good, the ATC, with providing us with some double passes to give away on the big day. So, first off, boys, for the big dance uh, tomorrow in Sydney, it is at around 20 past two. It's race five on the card. Cepheus and I Know A Star, $5 equal favourites. And Wicklow, there's been some money around for Wicklow Duff, who is second up with Barry and Waller. Look, this is going to be a good race, and they're going to get a good crowd there tomorrow. Yeah, I think Wicklow's the better of the day. Um, he wow. was a gr- <clears throat> great opportunity to bet yesterday with him at eleven dollars, uh, because if we this track stays soft, there's weaknesses in the two favourites. They're the two weak links amongst the soft trackers. So. I'll go with Wicklow. I, I think if this track stays a soft six, he should be near favourite and about accordingly. Wow. 
Okay, seven dollars currently with Tam. Seven dollars and two fifty. Uh, what about in the uh, the cup, Duff? Um, uh, I'm doing some Melbourne radio very very soon. What what are you what are you tipping in the cup? I uh, look. I've got a got to back Salkham. I'm backing Salkham. I think he'd be hard in your mouth at the start if he can't walk out the barrier and beat this lot. But the blinkers off. Magic hands on board of Marira. I just think all, all his lead ups have been fantastic. He loves Flemington. I'm saving on break up. Um, the, out of the Caulfield Cup, I think he can improve the Japanese, Japanese again. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Duff, I'll let you go, mate, because I know uh, Ron Duff is about to jump on Melbourne Radio, mate. We will catch you through the week, and good luck tomorrow, mate. See you, guys. All right. See we'll you, go Ron. to Chris Roots. We'll go to Chris. Uh, Chris, obviously, I'll get your tip in the uh, the big dance tomorrow. Duff pretty keen on Wicklow. Which way are you favouring, mate? I think Cepheus is going enormous, and I think he's the class horse today. 62 is a lot to carry, but he just doesn't he doesn't run a bad race, and you know you know what you're going to get. I, I take Duff's point about the wet track, but um, and the sun's out now, and it might just be a perfect racing surface, and um, I'll be with him, and I'm with Stockton in the Melbourne Cup as well. If you looked at his runs and said, um, leading, into, leading into the Caulfield Cup, you would have thought, well, he's the, he's the one that's just trucking along right at the right right um right trajectory. He gets to gets back to Flemington and if you go back to his first run in Australia, he just sat at the back and just brained them. And it's not a Melbourne Cup field he beat Nunti that day, but he's got a turn of foot and what people then realise in the Crawford Cup, he might have missed the start fight, but on the turn he pitched for a run behind without a fight and and gold trip just before they sprinted and when they accelerated he just got a check there. It cost him a couple of lengths. He probably should have been a couple of lengths closer. If you had him in the five minutes he lost at the start, well, he probably wins the Caulfield Cup. I think Pereira will get him out of the gates. I think they'll, they'll ride him patiently. And then we know Joe's almost won a Melbourne Cup before. I think he, he's going to come back and win a Melbourne Cup. And um, the, the never-ending farewell tour will continue. <laughs> Uh, and Vince Accardi. Vince, I know obviously you've been very, very busy doing uh, all the review from the weekend, but we obviously have that big race uh, here in Sydney tomorrow where we're going to have a big crowd, uh, the big dance. That is on the card tomorrow at Randwick. It's an early start, so it's a race five on the card. Are you you hearing the boys tip Cepheus and Wicklow? Well, here's the interesting thing. I, I obviously I haven't done any work at all for Randwick, but it's yep. crazy is... I did a post-mortem review with someone and the horse that was in discussion was Wicklow. And I said that was a dead set barrier trial, that run last start, and has to be uh, super hard to beat. So how could I not be with the boys on that horse? Because all indicators are that this horse is ready to peak and it's peaking at the right time. A little bit like Bella Nipotina, all that pent-up energy into this race here is usually a big advantage. You need a bit of luck, though. It looks like a giant field. Yeah, it is. It is. We might even try and chat to you tomorrow, Vince, about that Randwick race. But what about the Cup? No doubt. I mean, we talk about the text messages that we all get from uh, friends, from just people you haven't heard from for ages. No doubt your phone runs hot. <laughs> hey, Vince, what do you like? What do you like? What do you like around this time of the year? It's well, obviously a difficult know. race. I'm a it's master difficult. of keeping mobile phones off. <laughs> you are. You are very good at that. I have noticed that. So um, I, I'm you know, extremely difficult. Unless you've got my bat line, it's very hard to get to me, right? But the reality is this, the Melbourne Cup, what a sensational race. It is a sensational race. I have to firstly say, and I can you know, point it out here, the, the favourite in the race, obviously I get it. This horse does have a plus six to its name. I've done a deep dive on every single international runner, virtually every single start they've had. So I've got great optics and clear understanding about their performances. My challenge is this. It's only the one run where that horse has produced that. It's had a lot of hurdle racing, and unfortunately I'm no good at putting the clock over hurdles. But all the other runs around it, the horse sits around two and a half to three and a half lengths above the IVR benchmark. Therefore, you have to take a lot of trust in that one run. And when margins are big, there can be a little bit of deception in the overall pinning of the number. So I have a little bit of caution there. But I do say that I am very confident this horse is genuine around three and a half lengths better than standard. So without a fight, it's got a plus four to its name. Gold trip, it's got a plus four to its name. 
The Japanese runner, 5.5. The one that Duff said that he wants to uh, make sure he's got in. Very interesting. Now, that performance last start for that Japanese horse, forget all about it. The 1.6 lengths below benchmark. Uh, it's actually done that in the past in Japan and has the capacity to rebounding five or six lengths. Now, even if it doesn't run to that performance, one of the key things that we touched on, Dave, when we looked at the last Japanese horse is the profile leading in. The profile leading in for the Japanese horse into this race is two and a half lengths above the benchmark standard. Therefore... It's ready to springboard. Got the minus 1.6, can leap back to at least a three and a half and therefore puts it right in the race. There are a couple of other chances in the race, but Gold Trip, I did want to make a comment about Gold Trip. Last season, they did the same three runs. The Mar team is 100% correct. This horse is going two lengths better than last preparation. Therefore... Is the one kilo really going to make a difference? Or will it only be bad luck that stops that horse from winning? Okay, so it sounds like we, we obviously, if we, because there'll be a lot of people playing exotics, gold trip, break up. Just quickly, for my own personal interest, what about Absurd, the seven? No chance. <laughs> oh, I can't get a refund on that. <laughs> want to get it now. You know what? <laughs> you know what? That's what I love about you, Vince. Bang, straight into it. I love it, mate. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Vince. Good luck over the course of the week. And a big thanks uh, to everyone that's listened this morning. So there you go. The cup tips and thoughts from the boys. The big uh, dance tips from the boys. And I think we've got Brett Devine joining us now from the ATC. Hello. Uh, No, he's not there just yet. We'll take a break. We'll get Brett Devine up. We will also say goodbye to the boys. Vince Accardi, Chris Roots and Ron Duppercy.